This episode is brought to you by the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. To help you get the skills you need for the office, not the paddock, visit youngfarmer.nsw.gov.au. Thanks for tuning in to the Future Farmers Network Mentor of the Month podcast, where we hear from industry experts about their career journey, the highs and lows, the challenges, the opportunities, and everything in between. As always, we'd love to get your input into these conversations, so please send us your questions to admin at ffn.org.au. We'd also love your suggestions for future guests. Let us know if you've got someone that you find inspirational in the agricultural sector, and we'll do our best to get them here on the podcast. I'm pleased to introduce our mentor for this month, Nigel Kieran. Nigel is the founder and director of Kieran Agriculture. They're based in Yeovil in central west New South Wales. Spanning across 4,000 hectares, Kieran Agriculture encompasses a ver- the very successful Kieran Pole Merino Stud, as well as a substantial livestock trading business and around 1,000 hectares of pasture cropping as well. Uh, so just recently, uh, I had the opportunity on a rainy day to sit down with Nigel and have a full and frank discussion. Let's get straight into it. Nigel, uh, tell us where it all started. Uh, did you ever think you'd make it to here? <laughs> um, I always... I guess when you're young, you've got no idea where you're going to end up, but I always knew it was going to be in agriculture because that's just what lit me up from really early age right through to now, even at 56. I'm probably got more sting in me now than what I had 10 years ago because it's, there's a very defined direction in which we're heading. And, um, yeah, no, it all, it all started off... I think I was about five year old on the school bus selling eggs and used to love chooks. And I thought, well, I'll start selling eggs. And I used to love counting money from where I sold eggs. And yeah, then it progressed on. And the big money in 1978 and 79 was in fox skins. And I remember that year I shot over a thousand foxes for a $38 skin average. You know, and $38,000 back in 1979 was a Absolute fortune. So, yeah, always always loved looking at where the low-hanging fruit was. And when you're a kid, 13, 12, 13, 14-year-old, and you don't own anything and you can pinch your old man's ute and you can pinch your old man's gun and go and shoot foxes, like how easy was that? That was low-hanging fruit. So that's what I did because that's where the most money was. Um, yeah. Always liked looking at where the easiest way was to create a bit of cash with the least amount of risk. And when we say, uh, you know, that's sort of how it all began, where, where are we now? Could you give us a bit of a snapshot of, of Kieran Ag today? Yeah, um, where are we are now? Um, it's a business that's now driven more by people than scale. It doesn't really matter how much scale you've got unless you've got the people behind you to keep everything running. Um, so, yeah, it's... Everyone thinks it's scale that gives you the, the edge, the advantage, but it's scale doesn't really create freedom that can actually work for you in the exact opposite way. And for what I now know is if I could have um, at an earlier age worked out where the low-hanging fruit was in business, not nothing to do with making money, where the low-hanging fruit was in business, it's in, um, it's in communications, it's in more so leadership and having systems in your business that that keep you heading towards your magnetic north, which is where you want to be, your goals, and um, not wavering off on tangents, heading here and heading there. So 
Yeah, I think where we are now, we did succession in 2007, created our own business, me and Kate called Kieran Ag, and we've gone from strength to strength to strength since then. And we've had some really good people supporting us along the way, but I I think the big thing was just saying yes, and I don't care what could go wrong because I don't even look at that. I just go, well, what could go right? And away we go and we work it out as we go. But we'll talk more about that as we go through the interview. Yeah, beauty. Thanks, Nigel. I think you've you've developed into somewhat of a, a mentor, you know, to, to young farmers in New South Wales through various means. Um, recently, the Young Farm Business Program Conference and, and other things with the DPI's Young Farmer Business Program. Um, but that's you being a mentor. What's your own experience with mentors throughout your career? I think because we basically, I remember one of our, uh, when we first employed a business coach, one of the things was to work out where you want to be in one, three, five and ten years. And it was very much expressed to us where is it the anxiety is in this family or in is in this business? What is it that makes you feel uncomfortable? And back then we had absolutely zero understanding of um, business. And you've got to think, like, that was a 40-year-old, not 23 or 33. That was a 40-year-old. And part of the business coach job was to knock us into shape and put structure into our business where decisions are made based on fact, not emotion. And that fact is where you want to be into the future that's created by your one, three, five and 10 year um, path that you're going down. It stops your wandering off on tangents. So mentors to me, some of them were professional that were paid mentors, but there's probably three or four that were a lot older than me and those a lot of those now, well, all of them actually are over 75-year-old that I'm still going to even today. When I can't work something out, I'll quickly pick up a phone and hand it over them to give their opinion because it's just so much easier. Um, I guess you could say success isn't overnight. Um it's when every day you get a little bit better than you were the day before. So I just keep adding to that bank of information. And for me, it's easier sometimes to extract that information out of people that are a whole lot smarter in certain subjects than what I am. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nigel. I think you had a a recent experience at the Young Farmer Business Program conference where you were reminded of, you know, that role of a mentor in your business and, and keeping you on track. Yeah, that was an absolute, um, one of the things I learnt was you got to learn to listen, to actually hear. And when Ed Weiner was up there interviewing the panel, which she'd done a brilliant job of, she asked a question to the panel, was there at any stage you felt like um, getting out, getting out of ag? And one particular person said, yeah, hell yeah, there was. And... Not many people would have picked it up, but I sort of picked it up and I went, why is it that you're in such a a passion to get into a business, which is agriculture, and then you want to hit the eject button and get the hell out of there when it hits the fan? And all I know, and I I really strongly believe this, it has nothing to do with markets. It has nothing to do with droughts. And people will blame those types of things for feeling really crappy about ag or their business or how tough it is, and which is a word I even find hard to say. But I guess one of the things with um, young people is they haven't, that are in business, and it doesn't matter whether it's ag, it's all businesses. They actually haven't had time to battle test how good their systems are and that battle testing systems is one of the things that say you've got a business coach or a mentor actually holds you accountable to with your monthly reporting back to your coach like a 
it might be uh, we used to do what went well, what could have been better for the month, as well as all the financials, then they would ask questions back of us. If there was something that could have been better, how did that make you feel? And that one question, how did that make you feel when that you actually knew you crashed and burned and then they'd go, well, what is it that we've got to put in place to make sure that doesn't happen again? And guess what it was? Nine out of ten things we had to put in place were clearer communications. Communications is everything. And I think that lack of, um, I think ego crap, Creeps, in, creeps into it as well, especially in young men. And their ego won't let them actually ask for help when it's only a phone call away. And what would seem a massive problem to someone, I'd just go, well, why don't you do this? I couldn't do that at a young age, but by God, I can quickly do it now. It's simple. Just look at it this way. This is what I would do. It, it is the easiest it is the easiest way out of this and the most um, it'll give you the most reward with the least amount of effort if we go ahead and do this. So a lot of their, when they're setting up businesses, they haven't actually been battle tested. And that battle test is put stress on the business and see what happens. And then from where that stress comes, then you evaluate it. What went well? What could have been better? And you start building an armament up of problem resolution that's written down, documented, but it also, once you documented, it sits in the back of your head to go back to, to pull out of your head when you have a problem to backtest something. So I guess it's the structure that's created by a business coach. No one, no professional sportsman ever gets to be a professional sportsman without a coach. And why are we expected to go into business and perform and be great and go from good to great, good to great, when no one's coaching us? Pretty simple, isn't it? It is simple when it's explained like that, I think. Um, and, and there's no, you know, people can, sure, education helps along the way, but there is no other way other than, you know, using a mentor or a coach to accelerate you and, and get your battle tested because, you know, at 25, you can be as educated as you like, but you haven't gone through everything that someone who's older and more experienced has. Yeah. And my thing you want to create the personality that just goes and asks for help. And, and I don't mean help as in a weakness. You're asking to help for help to become stronger and make you more resilient. That's what the help means. It's to make you stronger and more resilient and add to that toolbox of resilience more tools that are learned from people that have crashed and burned on numerous occasions. Um, so, yeah, that's the way I view mentoring and business coaches. They're, they're there to build your resilience so that in the future you have less things more things went well and more things that could have been better. Yeah, yeah, great. Great. I want to I change tack a bit and I want to ask you the question that, you know, a lot of people say you should start with and that's, that's your why. Why do you do what you do? Because it's easy. Agriculture is a really, really, really easy to be, industry to be in and it has so many options. And I think one of the options... The biggest option that's been created in agriculture now is actually the opportunity that's been created by climate change. If you can get your head around how you build a business that fits in with climate, which I think we've gone a long way towards refining in the last five years, you've turned a, a negative thing that's spoken about negatively all the time in everything we do and in the media into a positive, how's your, how's your headspace going if you do that? One of the great things about agriculture, you, you either win or you learn, but you pretty much can't fail. 
And if we look at climate change as a negative, then I can tell you, fail might be looking you in the face. But if you look at it, how, you, how do you develop systems in your business that creates a changing climate into a positive thing, then guess what you're on the lookout for all the time? Low-hand fruit. And I consider now the climate we have. I, I thought my old man, when he was managing, had a really simple climate to manage. And yes, it was to manage. It was an easy climate. He had basically assured seasons. But was it profitable? No, it wasn't. It was easy to manage, but low profit. What climate has done is created high profit, providing you can get your head around how to manage that climate. And that, to me, creates the low-hanging fruit that everyone else is oblivious to. Yeah, that's um, yeah. It's a, that's a really interesting answer. I probably didn't didn't expect um, someone to say it was easy, but when you frame it like that, it, it makes it a lot simple. Saying it's easy though, you've still got a lot of balls in the air. You've got a lot of different things going on at every all different times of the year. How do you manage your time? Do you have any time management tricks that helps you get everything done? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty easy as well. I found the only way I could turn head chatter off and head chatter is waking up at quarter past two in the morning going, oh, shit, I've got to get this done and that's got to be done and that's got to be done and this has got to be done and that's got to be done and that's got to be done, to be done was to start managing everything ahead of time. If you're ahead of time all the time and that's where your headspace lives and that's where your leadership lives, Guess what happens to your head chatter? It turns off. So I'm very visual. I'm not a technical person by any means at all. Um, to me, everything's just whiteboards, managing ahead of time. And if we fill our whiteboards in for the whole week, uh, for, our, for myself and the other blokes that work here and as well as Kate, if we can't fill in certain days with jobs, we then go, well, Let's forget about this week. What is it that we can do that we know is coming up next week and do this week to be way ahead of time? And that creates a different way of thinking when you're standing there Monday morning having your team huddle, filling in the whiteboards. Because then you start thinking about another week ahead. What can we do a week ahead of time that makes that week easy as well as we'll get everything done this week? So time management's... The, the only way, I have a belief, and I've noticed this in a lot of businesses, procrastination is the fodder that fuels anxiety. And if you procrastinate doing something, it just keeps choking your headspace up, choking your headspace up because you're jamming more things to do into your head that never get done because you procrastinate. Well, if you want a really simple life, stop procrastinating. And that is to very much, um, I guess, write up is what is it that's got to be done that's urgent, non-urgent, important, non-important this week. And that's how we prioritise things. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nigel. I think that's really, yeah, that's really stuck with me that procrastination is the fuel of anxiety. I certainly know that. That to be the case for myself, and I think everyone would find that the same. Uh, in terms of sort of, I think you said you left school at 14. Yep. And did year nine and decided that um, me and education didn't get on that well. Yeah. But then around 40, you sort of found, you found sort of some other learning experiences to help you with your business and and you know get you to where you are how you know have you got any podcasts or reading or resources or things that you'd recommend i i'm not a great podcast listener um i listen to a few but not many and i don't know why that is but i've found one of the most um one of the things that's really killing learning, in my opinion, is social media. 
because we, I used to, and I just look at people and used to read and read and read and read education books, leadership books, business books, fun books, whatever sort of book it was, and that's disappeared. So all the really good stuff that I've done as far as learning has come from books. Bugger all of it's come from so-called podcasts or this or that or I think one of the things with learning is um, you should value education. If I give up a day to go to this, is it going to make a difference? And what I'm seeing now is anything that's free has that value. And what I've learned is the more I spend on education, the better that learning is. And also have the same opinion with business coaches. The more you pay you, the more you listen. And one of the things with business coaches is you need to listen to learn. So I'm, yeah, I do, I do most of my learning through books and reading and uh, highlighting text while I'm laying in bed reading them. Um, but then I'll go outside of agriculture to do a lot of learning, and we've spent a lot of money in the last, I guess you could say, 10 years of doing what I would call very focused learning, and that one was um, a lot of that was done with Alan Parker and the courses he run, the Negotiator's Toolkit, there were so many courses he run that I've done two and three times. And then we entered into a mentoring group that used to meet once a week, oh, once a month in Sydney. And that was where we did the most important learning. And that was the learning of how people think, how people work, how people react, how ego is, a, is something you have to identify. Um, when people are doing decision-making and also yourself when you're doing decision-making, work out where did that decision just come from? Was it driven by emotion, which is false, or what, or did it actually come from gut feel? Now, you'll always know if it's gut feel because it will force you to pick up a pen and paper and a calculator to come to an answer. So just learning how good decisions are made and bad decisions are made and actually pulling yourself up to check you was a major learning that I knew nothing about. So um, most of the learnings we've had that have led us to wealth creation have come through people learning, not industry learning. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, I suppose it all does come back to people in the end. Um, it's interesting, very interesting. How, Nigel, changing uh, track again, talk to me about work-life balance. How, how, how do you prioritise different things in life? I don't. I, just, I, I looked at that question and I thought, how do you prioritise different things in life? It depends what stage in life you're at. Now, we've got a really good work-life balance now, me and Kate, but that, you know, that has only come about in the last five or six years. And guess where that work-life balance didn't come from industry education, that come from people learning about how us humans actually think and how we work and... I guess you could say me and Kate and our business, Kieran Ad, we're, we're not a product of circumstances. We're a product of the decisions that we've made. And it's that how you back, back test and battle test your, um, your actual decisions you make create the freedom. So I know that's a really strange answer, but it'll be a different answer for everyone. And we now have the choice. We could have had this choice 20, we could have had this choice 15 years ago. Had we have wanted to create it or knew, or knew we had to create it to create choice. And most of that's come from managing people and the right culture in your business and the right culture in your people has been a massive driver of that. So work-life balance, I 
think that's a really difficult one. And it's a hard one to work out by yourself because you don't know how good it is till you get the balance right, till you actually get the balance. So you have to learn how to create the balance. Really shocking answer, I know, but, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to work out. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, uh, I've heard you say before, Nigel, though, something you see in a lot of young people these days is people just too busy being busy, you know, and that's not, that's probably not why you're always, you know, struggling with balance because you're taking a step back, you're working on your your business yeah. a lot. It's not not about being too busy to be busy, like too busy being busy to make money. It's it's variety in your business as well. Like, and here's where your outside mentors come in, people that you respect that have gone ahead of you, slashing through the jungle to create startup businesses. And this this was a startup business. I think it would have been six years ago. He said, not uh, this particular bloke said to me, he said, Nigel, the more people I employ, the more money I make. And I went, shit, that's completely different to what's been rammed down my throat all my life was to run it lean, to run it lean, to run it lean and bloody do you how many hours a week. And why he said that was, he said, while ever I'm at the coalface, I never get a chance to step out of the coalface and up into a helicopter and look down on this business to where the low-hanging fruit is. And I defy anyone, if they're going out, slashing through the jungle every day in their business, farm or non-farm, how the hell do you see the opportunities to create turnover or even find that low-hanging fruit? Because you're just so focused on chipping away at the coalface or slashing through the jungle. I think that's really, really resonates with me. Nigel, you said you've said it quite a number of times. You know, you've you've made things easy. Tell me about a time in the past. Um, <laughs> that wasn't easy. Tell us about a challenge you faced. Yeah, uh, would have been 2007. Uh, just started Kieran Ag. Um, we'd had a business coach. We were 100% breeding and we'd been trying to work out. And he had this saying, Nigel, you make really good money in the average to above average years and then you tear it up in the bad years. And that was true. And we'd actually been working out how do we take some of the risk out of our business. And uh, 2007 exploded, uh, big, um, big rainfall during harvest. Um, we, had a, we thought we had a heap of feed and this was the first time that I'd ever done a trade, a cattle trade that had any scale to it. So the intention was we'd buy, we ended up with 520 black heifers all purchased out of Victoria. We'd bring them up here, join them to bulls because everyone in the whole wide world would want to buy pregnancy tested in calf heifers. So this is 2007. We brought them up here. I think the day they landed here, it stopped raining. And I think it was about three months later, we knew we were in a corner and in strife with feed. Um, so I remember back then there was big rain up in the Channel Country in Western New South Wales. So we sent all these heifers with the bulls um, up to Yandabulla on adjustment. They went up there on adjustment. They joined up all right, but the season was continuing to move against us. So I was pretty much absolutely crapping myself what to do. So I went, I'm going to handball this to a bloke. I know I'll have an answer. And that was an old bloke called Brucey Comerford, a cattle trader dealer in Dubbo. So after a couple of cups of tea with Bruce, I asked the question, Bruce, what the hell do I do? And he just looked at me with the answer straight away. Nigel, you take all the money off the table and you put your headspace into a spot where you can put that money into something you can make money out of. And he said, what I'm saying is get those heifers to hell out of there, call it quits, take a loss, and then move ahead as soon as you get that money and do something with it. He said, the longer you procrastinate doing something, the bigger the loss is going to be and the more it's going to stuff up your headspace making decisions into the future. 
So we went up, mustered them, sent them down to Dubbo Sail Yards, pre-tested them all. It basically rained for the day, a full two days before that sail in Dubbo at a store sale. Rained and rained and rained, and I thought I might have got out of jail. But the funny thing was with this decision, I valued those heifers with an agent when they were still here to sell them before they went on adjustment, and I could have broke even. But my ego would not let me break even. So I sent them all the way up to Yandabula on adjustment, paid the adjustment, paid the freight, paid the freight back to Dubbo, and then sold them. And it was we were lucky we had two days of rain, which spiked the market a wee bit. But the fact was we end up losing $80 a head on those heifers. And when I look back and battle test that decision, what drove that decision to send them away it was ego it was an, a, a decision based on emotion there was no fact to it what was wrong with taking a break even on a trade because you were younger and stupider and you couldn't handle taking a loss you let ego overrule you and tried to turn something that was impossible possible and if it feels like it's impossible, it probably is. And you're better off doing what I was told to do. Take the money off the table, put the money in the bank, and then look at how do I make up the difference in what I lost. So I did what I was told. I got over it very quickly. I looked at the, um, I looked at the loss we took, and then I looked at how can I do a trade to quickly make up that loss, and that's exactly what we did, and that was what built confidence. So then when it come time to actually doing that trade, I went back to that mentor and asked him, what is it that's going to be the most valuable thing that I can run on my grass to make up for that loss? So how do we sell that grass to the highest bidder? And away we went and we were all back in business again. Yeah, beauty. I've heard a lot of people say you never go, uh, a lot of people go broke with a lot of cattle in the paddock, but no one goes broke with all that money in their bank account. So um that's a that's a good lesson to learn early uh nigel what what do you think is the most underrated value in people i think empathy and when you get your head around empathy and how it works it makes you a better listener and the power of pause the power of actually holding your tongue and pausing before and think about how is something going to land before you let it go. That's a bit, that was a big learning one, especially if you're an extrovert. Empathy creates a mindset where you pull yourself up and think about how something's going to land before you let it go. How will it be received? Which creates a different headspace. And I think the other big value was um, it was learning to create a culture in your business where everyone you do business with, you're trying to do the very best you can to create a win-win for both sides. And if you go into uh, everything you do with a win-win mentality, God, it makes look doing business easy because everyone wants to do business with you. And that wasn't the way we were raised. It definitely wasn't the way I raised, was raised. My old fella had a, and this was very, is still very common in agriculture, a win-lose mentality in business. And I'm going, well, what's the upside of that? No one wants to do repeat business with you if that's the case. So opportunities don't fall into your lap if you're a person that does win-lose in business. Things will go my way and fall into my lap because we're easy to do business with. And that's been a hell of a learning. And certainly not the culture we were raised in. Yeah. I think there's, yes, there's definitely still that about, isn't there? Um, you know, people constantly, farmers trying to screw down, you know, milk every last cent out of um, direct costs. And, uh, yeah, do, because you, know, you, you get, I think there's a bit of a sense of I won that. You know, he lost, I won. And it's a sense of pride too, as well as a saving to the hip pocket. Simply ego. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. So tell us, Nigel, you've got a, a team of, a fairly big team over at Kieranag now. 
how would you describe your your personal leadership style? I guess it's always been one of explain it and then lead by example. And that explain it, make eye contact when you're explaining it to make sure that it's landed the way you thought and then actually lead by example. And I don't I don't know whether there's many other ways of doing it. That's probably the only one I really know that works. There may be many others, but I'm just saying that's the one that works for me. So I think leadership is about it's building people up, not building people down. Yeah. And I always think that we can maintain the status quo where everything's easy, but is that building the person? Probably not. It all comes back to people. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Okay. Uh, well, let's. I've just got one more question about you and, and your business, and then we might have a chat about some broader industry things. Uh, in hindsight, if you look back at a twenty-year-old Nigel Kieran, uh, what message would you give to yourself? Easy. The one that. It's the one that created the most anxiety that you didn't know how to fix, but once you went and got education on how to fix it, it was the one that had the greatest effect, and that's to learn learn how to turn that negative chatter off in your head. That little bloke that sits in the back of your head saying, this won't work and that's no good and don't do this, it's been done before and why would you do that? He stifles more growth and more happiness than anything I know. So if you can get your head around, and I don't know anyone that doesn't suffer from head chatter. Everyone, as soon as you mention head chatter, they all start nodding their head, go, oh, shit, yeah, I know what that's like. But then I asked him, have you ever learned how to turn it off? Now, it took me, and then, well, I'll go back. It was Alan Parker that taught me how to turn it off and it took him about five minutes to teach a room full of people how to turn head chatter off. And I'm going, shit. And it was about, for me, it was just a simple thing of wearing a wristband around me hand. And every time I looked at that wristband and it was, I wore an actual pretty bloody pink one, a pink wristband around my thing, because this meant a lot. If I could nail this, it'd have a dramatic effect on how, how I was into the future. And that, pink wristband was every time I looked at that and got negative chatter come into my head straight away I hit it with three four five positive thoughts three four five positive thoughts and that went on for about four or five months where you pull yourself up negative chatter bang hit it with three four five positive comments in your head and after a while that poor little bastard that had been in the back of your head flogging you for years, he was scared to come out in the end because he kept getting flogged with all this positive intent into, the, into your head and it actually worked like a charm. So my biggest learning was how do you turn off head, negative head chatter? Because when you, when you actually get your head around that, you don't become what you want, you become what you believe. And you actually believe that after a while of um, having win after win, and those wins in business and personal life are created from really good planning. It comes from a positive mindset. And now I just, I can never, I cannot ever go back and think negatively because there's no room there for it now. It's too much fun being on the positive side of life all the time. Um, and one of the great words that I check myself with is a simple word called unstoppable. If you're feeling a little bit shitty in the morning going to work, just say, get your head up, get going. It could be an unstoppable day if you want to change the way you're thinking and then you just slap yourself and say, oh, shit, right So, yeah, um, one of the biggest things I've learned is 
that adds the had a dramatic effect on the business as well as personal life is turning off head chatter. That negative little prick that lives in the back of your head. God, he's a mongrel. I think that's uh, that's definitely a solution. It's just a matter of how. And uh, if you know, I think if you can, if you can, the, yeah, the earlier in life you learn it, the longer you've got to live uh, positively and, and keep going and keep building. And it's a good headspace too. And that's why I think agriculture is easy. Remember the speaker we had two years ago at the Young Farmers Conference? I think he was the last speaker on the day and his words resonate in my head. Tough, tough times. Oh, dead, damn tough times. Tough times. And I'll never forget he was telling the story about he was doing a speaking stint at Double Bay in Sydney and had a real estate agent come up to him. He said, oh, we're having such a tough time selling real estate in Double Bay. Oh, it's so tough selling real estate in Double Bay. And, and this speaker said, wow. Just imagine if you're having a tough, tough time selling real estate in Double Bay in Sydney, how bloody tough it would be if you were to go to Kabul in Baghdad or wherever that is in Israel, wherever that country is, and sell real estate there. And straight away I went, see, he just did a 360 on that and that bloke would have been left um, speechless. Yeah, definitely. If you can't sell it in Double Bay, mate, then get another job. <laughs> It's all about perspective, that's for sure. Uh, great. Now, what about something the industry more broadly? What do you think the biggest challenge for young people in agriculture at the moment is? Oh, there's there's a few, but if I had to say one word, and it's only made up of three letters but it can destroy a big 12-letter word, it's ego. Ego is the one thing that I now look at that stops the rapid growth in businesses, especially in young men, because they won't... A problem, a problem shared is a problem solved. You've just got to get the right person to ask the question to you don't want a negative person you don't want to ask that of another person that has a math, massive ego so i look at ego it's just a, a it's a small word made up of three letters which can destroy a big 12 letter word called relationships so ego destroys relationships and if you're aware of what ego does then it allows you then to start building relationships and you'll probably find that you'll change the herd that you hang around with. The people you hang around with will change as you grow personally because there'll be certain people that now don't fit into your cultural beliefs. And if, if you're used to hanging around negative people that tell you how tough, tough times are and you start hanging around positive people, you'll find that those old people you used to hang with simply do not fit into your herd anymore and you can't tolerate being near them. So I think, with, as I said before, especially with young men, if you can drop that ego thing and ask for help from a person that you respect and they'll more than likely be older, it adds value very much to the relationship you have in your business and also the relationship you have with your partner because if you involve your partner in the decision-making process and drop that ego where you're not out there with the big wooden club over your shoulder in the paddock carrying all this, um, say, burden of maybe doubt or indecision and you bring it out in the open as quick as you can, suddenly you've got rid of that procrastination is the fodder that fuels anxiety. And the longer you procrastinate fixing a problem, the worse that relationship will get when you enter the back door of the house. And it's ego is one of the things that stops you dropping your pride to go and ask for really uh, good mentoring or good help or someone you just respect and share your problem with. And I just go, now, if I have something I can't work out, 
I don't know how to work this out. I'm going to hand it to someone that's smarter than I am because I love bludging off people that are smarter than I am. And I think that goes right back to school. When I used to sit beside the smartest kid in, in my class and copy everything he did because he was always up in the 90% on his um, assessments. So I become really good at stealing things that other people did really, really well and bringing them back into business as a free lunch than rather than try and work it out myself. So that goes right back to school days. I hung around the smartest kid in the class and copied everything off him. Now all I'm doing is getting the low-hanging fruit that comes from all the courses that there is in agriculture. Um, all the education courses you can do in agriculture, like your KLR marketing, your grazing for profits. I went to America and did um, uh, ranching for profit over there and just heard it in a completely different way. I've done all those courses that many times. I've done HM. All I do is pick the fruit that I like out of those courses and bring them back into my business and model them into my own business. But had I have never left home and done those courses, and that's where I'm saying the more money you spend doing education, the more you respect the education. And that's just my way of thinking. It may not be correct, but it works for me. Yeah, oh, that's good. I think one other, that's, I think you're right, ego is a big challenge for young males, uh, myself included. Um, but another another thing that we see as a constant theme, which I've heard you talk about and explore further before, is, you know, a, a common gripe with with people entering agriculture is a price of land. Yep. There's two people at the moment which are really fed up with low interest rates, which is probably helping drive this this price of land a little bit. Do you could you explain to me who those two groups of people are and what a solution might be to assist younger farmers getting getting into agriculture? It's probably a discussion for another whole podcast, but right at the moment, this has been so for about the last five years and property markets just gone through the roof no matter what property it is. There's two classes of people absolutely hate low interest rates. It's the older generation wanting to get out of agriculture. So when they sell their farm, their money is basically has no value. Like if they invested in an interest-bearing deposit, big whoopee-doo, 0.6%, 0.8%. So they're, they're, the normal thing is when you're getting retiring, you're not going to do anything that risky with the money or the investment that you've done. You're quite happy. You to poke along and most people used to put it into an IBD and that would give them a good return and pay all their bills and then that asset would just sit there to be handed down more than likely to the next generation. And then you've got the young people trying to get into agriculture and they are the ones that can't benefit from low interest rates because they're not actually in the game yet. And I just see those two marrying together, the natural progression of what should be happening. And this fits in with mentorship and it fits in with, you know, learning from the older generation that have made the mistakes before you, is that vendor finance to me just seems the most logical, easiest way to do something. And I would even go as far as to say intergenerational, if you've got one Three kids, one kid wants to come home onto the land and the other two don't, then don't let it be a blockage. I just see why doesn't that the one that wants to go in dag actually just buy the whole bloody thing off mum and dad and that allows the other siblings to be paid out as well where mum and dad become their lands handed over but and at sale value or whatever, they leave the money in the business as vendor finance. They can leave all the plant and equipment there on a lease rate. They can leave all the livestock there on a lease rate or a um, just an agreed amount of money that they paid out. And we've been able to do that. We got our start using vendor finance. We got our second start using vendor finance. We got our third start using vendor finance. And it's so, so easy to set up 
And I just don't know why something so simple isn't used more. And I think where the gap is, the gap is your communication skills to make all this happen. See, we didn't know how to make it happen. We didn't have those tools in the toolbox. It was the bloke we were buying, well, especially two of the brothers we were buying these farms off, held our hand through this process. We had no idea what we were doing because they'd already done it when they put land together, which had happened 25, 30 years earlier. So see how they were older, they knew what they were doing, and they held our hand through the process of setting up Vendor Finance. I'll never forget when it happened. I was just there thinking, this is too easy to be true. This is too easy. There's got to be a bloody catch here somewhere. And there wasn't. We were just dealing with people that had done it before and made it seem simple. And it was. So to facilitate that, to get all that to happen, you've got to talk, you've got to take into consideration the last hour of conversation that we've just done are all the pieces that go into facilitating a good vendor finance agreement. So I know, I know I've brushed over that pretty quick and it'd take a good hour to explain it better, which we haven't got. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. And uh, we might just, I think that's, uh, you're right, it, it, perhaps another podcast in itself. So who knows, sometime in the future we might have to visit and cover that off. But um, what, just to finish on something a little bit lighter, imagine you're stuck on a desert island and on that desert island you can only take three things with you. Oh. What would those three things be? Um. An endless supply of uh, sense of Asian wine, an endless supply of leadership books, and I know I'd have no hope of getting Kate on a desert island because there'd be no shopping, so I might as well just, I don't know what I'd take for the third one, just as long as I had good wine, good books, and internet wouldn't make any difference because if I had internet, I wouldn't read the books. So you'd have no use for that. So somewhere where you couldn't get phone signal, it'd be a good thing as well. That'd be about it. Very good. I suppose the third thing might need to be the glasses so you can read. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll books. just crack a coconut up for them. That's <laughs> resourcefulness. Yeah, don't worry about the glasses. <laughs> good stuff, Nigel. Thanks very much for joining us and, and thanks for your time. Definitely been very valuable for the audience. So thank you very much. I hope it was of some value to someone. Success isn't overnight. It's when every day you just get a little bit better than were the day before. You've got to have that as a mindset when you go home each night driving up the house. What did I learn today? What great things happened today? What can I celebrate that happened today? Positive mindset creates a positive culture. Well, that's it for the month. We'd love to hear your thoughts via Facebook or Twitter. And we look forward to bringing you another enlightening and motivating podcast next month. Until then, if you really like this podcast, share it with your mates. Speak to you soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out The Business of Farming, a series of recordings from the Young Farmer Business Program Conference featuring some of the best minds in business and primary production.